Hey there, everyone, and welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollock, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more. We have a real fun show for you this week. We're going to talk to Ann Halliday about the adaptation of Judy Bloom's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is in movie theaters now. I'm also going to talk to Stephen Garrett about the clunky and weird Peter Pan and Wendy now airing on Disney+. Plus. It's a live-action adaptation of uh, the Peter Pan cartoon. It's directed by David Lowry, who made The Green Knight. Very strange cultural product, that is. Speaking of strange cultural products, we're going to talk to Paula Schaefer, who herself is not a strange cultural product, but she reviewed Rise of the Pink Ladies, a show on Paramount+. Plus that is a prequel to the movie Grease. That is something that definitely didn't need to be made, but we had a fun time uh, dissing it and watching it. So that'll all be coming up right after this self-produced musical interlude. Our movie of the week is the long-awaited, I would say, but long-awaited by some people, uh, adaptation of the classic Judy Bloom young adult novel, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is in theaters now. And Ian Holiday, our, um, our film critic and frequent Book and Film Globe contributor, uh, wrote about it this week and had a really interesting critique, I thought. She's here today to talk to me about it. Hello. Hello. Yes, yeah, so I I saw this movie uh, on opening night. My wife and I went, and, you know, we're both... Um, 70s and 80s kids and so this was a, a novel that uh, was part of our young adult experience obviously like I was not a, a young woman uh, experiencing growing pains and uh, her first period I, I did not uh, experience that but I read the book and I read a lot of Judy Blue books so her sensibility sort of informed my youth in some ways and uh, you know I, I know that you you for one were really looking forward to this movie I mean you did a uh, a, a cartoon, a comic for us, uh, a checklist uh, that was asking uh, readers what they remembered from the book, and so you were you were jumped all over this, and you know, and you were somewhat disappointed by the movie. Yes, I think that's a fair assessment, and I was definitely excited when I saw the trailer. And for some reason, unlike with other films, like when I heard that the Fantastic Mr. Fox was going to be adapted I was like oh no they're gonna f this one up and I was delighted by that adaptation but this one not so much well that was a, a very interesting it was a Wes Anderson movie it was a very interesting and creative uh, adaptation and very you know, modernized uh, in a Wes Anderson kind of style whereas this movie is you know I found it um, very sweet very sentimental very straightforward it was very time capsule-y and uh you know i was talking to my wife about it and she got kind of upset when i said it kind of felt to me somewhat like a modern after school special about getting <laughs> about getting your first period like it, it it didn't i mean it it could not have been made in 1970 but it felt in some ways like it could have been made in 1970. yeah i mean i think ultimately um, I feel that this book is sort of unadaptable because you couldn't adapt it faithfully when it was written because of the subject matter. 
you know, puberty, basically, and the, the girl's interest in sex and in their own changing bodies. You couldn't do a frank adaptation of it. And now I think it's hard to do an adaptation of it that's set in 1970, because obviously when Judy Bloom was writing it, Margaret's White, we can assume that all her friends and her teacher and all her neighbors in this new suburban New Jersey neighborhood are white. And that's not a movie that people are going to want to see right now. So by expanding the casting, it's like it kind of changes some things, some realities about 1970, I think. Well, I'll take some light issue with that, I think, because while the movie definitely has some black characters, Margaret has a black teacher, one of her best friends is black, there are other black kids sort of sprinkled throughout. It is New Jersey, right? You know, this isn't set in um, Louisville, Kentucky in 1970 when school integration was, you know, they're just across the river from New York City. It is possible that there would have been some black people. You know, there wasn't a lot, there weren't a lot of, um, you know, it wasn't like a Pan-Asian classroom because that wasn't happening in 1970. So I think it's possible, you know, that that... Oh yeah, I think it's totally possible too. And I want to be clear, I think you know, particularly the two performers who are black people who were cast in major roles or major supporting roles. Um, Amari Price as her friend Janie, one of the club members, and then Echo Kellum as her teacher, Mr. Benedict. I think they did a great job and they were, you know, very charismatic performers, particularly her. But I, for me, the problem is, is like, you know, i I went to all the boy-girl parties and stuff during that period, and it, I think it would have been a problem for the parents of, like, not only are your kids playing two minutes in the closet, but your kids are, there's a chance that they're going to get assigned to a person of another color to go into the closet with, and it might not have bothered the kids, but I think it would have bothered the parents, and I actually think that, you know, if we're talking about implicit bias and what we're raised with, I think in 1970, yeah, a black kid would be thinking like, oh, I got the white girl. And the white boy would be thinking, oh, I got the black girl. You know, I think it probably, I just probably. felt like it was way too gauzy. And I don't know. I don't think we can be, you know, trying to make progress in 2023. And I think young people that are really taking to heart the messages of Black Lives Matter and things like listen to us, listen to what life was like for us, listen to like what life has always been like for us. You know, it's different. I don't think it's great to be implying like, yeah, everything was just totally groovy and we were just worried about getting our periods and like uh, bras. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, we're looking for a bra for my daughter. Hmm. Well, we don't have many that small, but come with me, dear. I'll measure you. Arms up, dear. Hmm, barely a 28, not even a double A. Your best bet is gonna be to go with one of these okay. grow bras here. So one day when you do grow, it'll grow with you. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. Thanks, we'll just go try it on. Um. Can I just, I'll just, yep, here we go. Oh, this is always the tough bit. I can't even do this to this day. Okay, all right, can I see? How's that feel? I cannot wait to take it off. 
Yeah. Welcome to womanhood. Fair, fair enough. But I think if you're looking for a, like a straightforward YA adaptation of, of, sort of Black Lives Matter concerns, there was a terrific movie made out of The Hate You Give, uh, which I saw a few and reviewed for the site a few years ago. Whereas Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is really, as you say in your review, a, literally a period piece, yeah. um, right? About a girl getting worried about and then getting her first period in an age where, um, you know, information about sex and sexuality and changing bodies was was passed on you know through the grapevine through kind of grainy videos that you you know also like you have to understand like i live in texas where it's still controversial to teach kids about their changing bodies so the idea that you would just roll in the um, the movie and roll film in the school auditorium and show people pictures of penises and vaginas is uh in some parts of the country still kind of a radical notion so, um, I don't know. Right. Well, and they so weren't I, really, I mean, having sat through some of those movies, they weren't showing penises and vaginas. They were showing something that looks like a Pepto-Bismol commercial of yeah, like, here's no, how the stuff goes in and you've got this outline of a body. And also, I, I want to, one thing that I didn't get in the review that I thought was, this was not great about the film. So all the girls are ushered in to watch the you know, janky film strip about their changing yeah. bodies. And then it cuts to their reactions. And like one of the kids is throwing up in her mouth a little bit. It, you know, they were just yeah. like honking that horn for like these humorous reactions. And I was like, that wasn't how it was. Everybody was a little bit embarrassed. Everybody yeah. was a little bit transfixed. Everybody was hanging on, hoping for more information than that film strip was at was going to really deliver. That's how it was in real life. We weren't throwing up. Our yeah. Mouths, you know? <laughs> I th- yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, the movie is not made. I mean, you and I, this is one of the few pop culture uh, products. I think at this point we can say this about the movie is aimed at people who are a little older than we are. Right. Like I was not in junior high in 1970. That was the year I was born. All right. So I was five, you know, so, so it's like, but the, there were, the theater was kind of full of, um, women in their late fifties, early sixties, at least when I saw it. And, you know, they were like, just kind of clucking, uh, I, 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 that's a sexist term, but they were like <laughs> expressing, their, they, they were expressing. Their... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, it was full of mature chickens. Um, no, it was, they, they were expressing their sort of approval. Like, yes, yes, this is how it was. You know, the movie, the movie is sort of is catering to people of, I think, of a certain age. Um, I, I will say, let, let's let's talk about what, what is good about the movie. You know, the, Abby Ryder Fortson, who plays Margaret, is very sweet, very realistic. It is, she, she is more or less like you would imagine Margaret to be. I mean, I know you didn't love the Rachel McAdams mom character, but she was sort of like a um, – she was sort of like a groovy mom in the suburbs, right? She's like – she didn't like, have, she kind of had loose hair and she was an art teacher and she's kind of trying to adapt to the changing times. And I thought, she, I thought she was, she's always nice to watch. Oh yeah. From, she um, has such a sympathetic you know, presence, but you know what it was for me, me, Neil, is that I didn't care about Margaret's mother's journey. I don't care yeah. if she feels like she can't make any friends with the PTA ladies in the suburbs. I don't particularly care about her 
relationship with her parents. I would rather that be sort of backgrounded and I could just think about it. Like the book is all written from Margaret's perspective and Margaret is self-absorbed in the way that, you know, kids that age are self-absorbed and she's an only child, which I am too. So, you know, the parents figure a little bit larger in her mind because she doesn't have brothers and sisters. Her family is a small one. But it's, I really wanted it to be just completely centered in her experience when friends are so important and the people you have crushes on are so important and occupy such a major, major part of your story. And your parents are, you know, kind of like when you need a ride, if you need them, yeah. like take you to the mall so you can buy the bra that you're horribly embarrassed to ask for. $5 to go to the movies. Again, though, I think that's a function of the fact that the movie, this is not, although this is a family-friendly movie, you know, I think it's really a movie for them, for adults. Yeah, um, and it's a movie and they've got to make money. Although, you know, I was talking about it with some friends and someone said, oh, I remember back in the 90s, there was this great adaptation of this book. I'm sure it was unauthorized. It was in Chicago and it was a bunch of women in their 20s. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That was a friend of mine that did that. And it was right after I moved to New York. I wish I had seen that because ultimately I think for me, there's probably no movie of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, that's going to satisfy me. But a black box theater like thing that's played a little bit for laughs, but like gnarly laughs, not not fond gazzy chuckles. I may have even seen that because I was in Chicago in the nineties. It's very like that's the kind of thing like the real live Brady Bunch that could have easily come out of Chicago yeah, in the same 90s. theater. So Mary Seward Scruggs and Susan Messing, the creators of that, oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah, but this was not that. No. This is not. <laughs> This is a soft, this is a soft focused um, nostalgia piece, essentially. The one thing I did like, I don't know, like I'm Jewish and I I, I like the scene in the temple where she goes with her grandma played by Kathy Bates to temple. I don't think it it wasn't as funny as it could have been, but that's what going to temple is like. It's extremely boring, especially (laughs) that kind of Yeah, the dad has a good line that I don't think is in a book when mother is worried about Margaret going to temple and choosing a religion said, you know what actually got me off of going to temple was going to temple. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was sort yeah, of me in yeah. Sunday school. And the one thing I will say is then she goes with her friend to the, to like the gospel church. Um, the one, I thought, I felt like they really soft, uh, soft pedaled that uh, because they, they cut to her, like having a dancing and clapping and having a good time while the gospel choir sings. I would have liked to have seen a more full scene of that where she actually enters in and people are nice to her. And then, the music starts and she's like, oh, this is fun. Yeah, agreed. You know? I, I like uh, that scene isn't in the book because in the book her friends are all white, so she would not be going yeah. to an all-black congregation's worship service. No. And the line that they give her is sort of like, I'm not sure I knew what was going on, but the music was fun. And I was like, thumbs down. Like, yeah. you know, give it some teeth. <laughs> Yeah, well, the movie doesn't have a lot of teeth, no. you know? <laughs> they corked their gator, to use the Simpsons reference. All the, all the, all the gator teeth had little corks on the end of them. I, I wouldn't say, I, my expectations were not that high, so I'm not as disappointed um, as, as you are, but, uh, you know, your critique is really interesting. I will say, like, you know, 
I've rarely seen a movie get such unanimous praise from critics and audiences alike. It's like yeah, and they don't need to worry about me not liking it because the New York Times gave it a critic's pick. But again, so you want to get to my real beef? Do we have a second to get to my real beef? Which was that it's like this is the whole experience of reading the book when I was a kid was like getting information about what the hell is a period? What happens when you get it? How do you deal with it? Are you going to bleed all over your clothes? What's going to happen? And that's what the book was about. That's what the experience of readers coming to it for a really long time was. And that it's like in 2023, really, we can't like see a little spot of clean red blood on, you know, looking down, on somebody's knees and a little pair of cotton panties stretched between it. We can't show that, but with all that, like every young actor who's going to be auditioning for something now has to be prepared to do a sex scene that is like almost hardcore pornography, you know? Or when you, or or as you put it in the piece, when you see like, you know, Jesse Tyler Ferguson's dismembered torso hanging from a tree, bleeding in cocaine hair, which I have to, (laughs) I have no, I had no objection to, mind you, but, or, or you see, you know, repeatedly people's eyes getting gouged out and heads popped open and, you know, there's like gore, gore galore, but, but a little menstrual blood is perhaps tempting. Yeah, I think it would have been so hip to normalize that. And, you know, there are so, still so many guys who've never even seen a tampon. It's like buy a box and unwrap one and you'll be... You'll get some knowledge, man. <laughs> a, surprisingly un, a surprisingly unhip adaptation of a book that was extremely hip in its time. Yeah, and still is. I reread it recently, yeah. and it's a lot of it holds up. It's not very dated at all. Well, Judy Bloom likes it, even if we don't. No, she uh, does, as- and she likes she likes expanding it to Rachel McAdams' character. Well, you know. Well, again, it's it's Rachel McAdams is the is the proxy for the audience. You know, this is not a movie for, for, for girls. This is a movie for um, mature people. I know. I have almost the exact same hair as her, and I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, I wish I had as much hair as Marvin's cat. <laughs> not, 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 not even remotely close. He, he looked like, he looked like, a, he looked like a, as much of a high school student to me. As yeah, some, they some seemed of- really young to me, too, but that's a function of my age. I thought he was great. I really liked it. I didn't like that they dialed down the lawnmower scene because in the book, Margaret runs out to look for severed fingers in the lawn. <laughs> that has stuck with me for like more than 40 years at this point. So, As, as someone who has ab- abdicated the mowing of lawns to other people i i appreciated that <laughs> yeah if you're not gonna give us you know just one little speck of period blood let's see you know let's see some fingers hanging by a thread are you there god it's me margaret is in theaters now and will forever be in the hearts of the gen xers who read it back in the day all right thank you so much thank you so much other ones grow up i want things to say the way they are Stop time, Wendy. Whether you like it or not. Watcher! You were flying! A little bug did it. I don't think that's a bug. She is a fairy. Are you... Peter Pan? Were you expecting someone else? 
dreamed of? I could never have dreamed of this! What is this place? No rules, no schools, no bedtimes, and most of all... No growing up. Are you, Wendy? Tycoon. Peter. Peter! Peter! Captain, it's Peter Pan! Never say his name. 97% of all entertainment these days are uh, live-action adaptations of classic Disney cartoons. The latest Disney classic Disney cartoon feature to get the live-action adaptation treatment is Peter Pan. And uh, on Disney Plus uh, right now is uh, Peter Pan and Wendy. They added Wendy to the title uh, because, uh, because it is 2023 and it's, it's not just a boy's world anymore. Um, and Stephen Garrett has seen Peter Pan and Wendy and has reviewed it for the site. Hello. He's a grown up. He, he, he did grow up, as did I. <laughs> I'm a lost boy. I don't know about you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, Peter Pan. You know, Peter Pan is played by uh, uh, a boy, I would say indeterminate ethnicity. I'd say he's probably Indian. And, and my wife was like, well, Kathy Rigby played Peter Pan. I'm like, Kathy Rigby, the original role was Mary, Mary Martin played Peter Pan, and she was Larry Hagman's mother, and that's when I realized I'm old. <laughs> anyway, this is... Yes, a, it's a, what, it's saying, what do they call it? A, it's a classic trouser role for the stage, right? <laughs> trouser role. That's the phrase, the trouser role. That's when a woman wears uh, men's clothing. Or, or tights, in this case. Um, or tights. Yeah, green tights. So... This is a, a an interesting adaptation because it's not you know most of the Disney uh, live action adaptations of classic cartoons are very literal kind of kind of dull um, and this was uh, written and directed by David Lowry a very interesting filmmaker whose most recent movie was The Green Knight which is an incredibly uh, avant garde uh, take on an Arthurian legend uh, very you know dense and difficult but really rewarding if you if you uh, could get through it. Um, and, uh, you know, Peter Pan and Wendy, it has some of the visual and thematic elements of his work, I would say. Sure. Maybe. He, he, he definitely gives a, a very visceral sense of the world, uh, in his movies, you know, whether it's a ghost story or even the old man and the gun, which is this kind of homage to seventies movies that had, uh, Robert Redford, who was also in Pete's dragon, which was the other a Disney kids movie that he directed, which gave a lot more kind of earthiness and, and uh, verisimilitude to the, uh, you know, to the story that came out in 1977, which was the mix of animation and, and basic just goofiness. And, you know, um, so he does, he already made an adaptation of Pete's dragon. He did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With Robert Redford of oh. all people. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. That, interesting. Must, that must've been, no, a wasn't going to the movies or something. Right, well, right, right. No Shelly Winters. But yeah, you're right. I mean, The Green Knight, it, it's, they're, they're, they're kind of soulmates, these uh, movies, to a certain extent. But I don't feel like this is quite as inspired as The Green Knight. I don't know. If, I oh, think no. you might have liked this a little more than I. I, I did not like this. I didn't like this much. You know, my main problem with Peter Pan is that the kid who plays Peter Pan is a real wet rat. You know, he's a total dud. He has no, <laughs> he has no, no uh, you know, he, he does, you know, Peter Pan is supposed to be this electric, magnetic, you know, uh, figure in the center of the action who like inspires everyone to 
to do great things and to, you know, chase eternal youth. And, you know, and this is just like, he's just a sort of sad, bland, one note boy. In my yeah, mind. I totally agree. He's very bland, you know, uh, and I thought Wendy Darling was fantastic. This yes. Girl ever Anderson. I thought she was wonderful. Do you know who I really didn't like? Captain Hook. Little oh, Jude, Jude Law. Law. Little cherubic faced Jude Law, who is like, does not look evil or dastardly in any conventional way. And I just thought he was a set. Literally, I, about a half hour into the movie, I was like, who the hell is playing Captain Hook? Why couldn't they have gotten somebody more charismatic or someone who looked evil? And I was like, oh my God, it's Jude Law. I stopped and looked it up. I was like, what the, huh? You didn't even so, recognize it. Well, here's the thing. You know, I Captain, didn't. No. Strange. Captain Hook in, in this movie is not really a villain, he is like a lost. Uh. He's a lost boy who grew up. He's a victim. He's yeah. just a victim. They he's give a, him a backstory, which is so dumb. He's like, he was Peter Pan's best friend and then went back to the real world and then grew up and got all hairy and stinky and then came back and became a pirate. It's just, it's, it's kind of strange, you know? And the, the thing is like, if, if the, um, you know, if the movie had stayed true to what I think it wanted to do, which is to make it, really Wendy's story and make her sort of, she sort of was Peter, you know, Peter Pan. She acquired his powers and, you know, became sort of the leader of, a, of, of this troop of, of miscreants. Um, you mean a, a, after the certain plot twist where Peter Pan was, was not involved in the story for a spell of, I yeah, know, that was the best part of the movie. Where there was no Peter Pan. In, you know, the, again, like he, he was, he was just so, so bland and flat. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. It's very strange. You know, and I, I, I just also, the, the uh, first of all, I couldn't agree more about the Peter Pan thing. Second of all, like the, the story has always been, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's almost Freudian, right? About the woman who is clearly on the cusp of, or the young girl who's about to become a woman, who falls for this boy who will not grow up, you know? And that is such an archetype that therapists talk about all the time, right. you know, that it's become a Peter Pan syndrome. So it's, um, you know, sorry, everybody. It's a pretty cisgendered story. And the Lost Boys are part and parcel of that story as being an echo of Peter Pan's refusal to grow up. Right, and in right. this movie, of course, there's the obligatory, you know, not all the Lost Boys are boys. And she's like, but you're not all boys. Then do you go, so? And then she's right. like, well, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. Well, it actually does really matter in this sense. <laughs> well, they're not. Well, all I don't boys. know. That's just me bumping up. They're not all boys. They're not all. They're not all white, and one of them even has Down syndrome. And it's, it's <laughs> that's little, right. And, well, I don't mind about the ethnicity and the yes, you know the of mix of different you know uh, birth uh, you know uh, issues. Okay. Yeah, there's no reason why a lot of boys shouldn't have Down syndrome, but they should all be boys. You know, Wendy is like, so suddenly she's not like the den mother to a bunch of boys. She's just, uh -huh. she's just like a exactly. nanny, like a nanny in an orphanage, a you know, multicultural yes. orphanage. And uh, yeah, and, and it's all, it all just kind of falls kind of flat. Um, I will, you know, and I'll say the best part of the movie were the three darling kids. Like I thought the, the, the boys who played the other, you know, darling. Great. Terrific. Don and Michael looked the part and they were cute, uh, but they had, didn't have, they didn't have much to do. Uh, the crocodile, the crocodile scene was kind of fun, I guess, but although... Kind of fun, but, you know, have five uh, minutes with the crocodile on the clock. Yeah, but then it just kind of, but it just kind of appears and there's no, like, sense of oncoming menace. Suddenly there's a crocodile in a cave and it's going berserk. And, but it was cool looking. I don't know. Very cool looking. Enormous. 
Yeah, really big. Real, really, really big. Kind of unnecessarily large. Yeah, it didn't need to be that big. It could just have appeared more. It was a pleosaur more more than it was. It was like the Meg. It was the Meg of crocodiles. (laughs) The Meg. So you know, this movie is kind of a. I don't think it's um. I don't think this is going to become a beloved childhood classic. I think I think parents probably going to continue to show uh, if they show their kids anything at all from the Peter Pan mythos. uh, Show, show them the, uh, the the cartoon. Also, like there was no um, there was no uh, romance between Peter Pan and Wendy. They were barely they barely wow. talked to each other. They Weird. barely did. And you know, at the beginning, you know, it's promising. He, you know, he comes to get a shadow. He sews it on, and then he goes ouch. And she says, "Oh well, you know, I should kiss it. What's a kiss?" And so she gives him a thimble. You know, that's developed into an actual kiss, right? If memory serves. Yeah, um, uh, and that's dropped very quickly. It's about that's dropped as quickly as the crocodile. Like these things are given lip service. The first half of the movie is pretty faithful to, you know, I guess the the classic story and certainly the animated film. Uh, and then the second half is like I don't even know what I'm watching. This is just odd. Like Captain Hook origin, origin story. I don't know. Captain Hook origin story. You were my best friend and you left me. Why don't you grow like what? Come on. Side this in with a conversation I had with our other critic just before. This really should have been, are you there, God? It's me, Wendy. Wendy was terrific. I thought Smee was great. Jim Gaffigan as Smee is so fun. That was Jim Gaffigan. Oh, yeah. He was yeah. He, he was quite good. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more, more of him. Maybe let's do a Smee, like, six-episode series. There you go. I want a prequel with Smee. Life of yeah, Smee. Yeah. Life. There was backstory there, too, right? Because apparently Smee, spoiler alert, found young James Hook. He has a boy and raised him into a pirate or something, right? James Hook. And that was like a throwaway line. You're just like, wait, huh? What? Now Smee's got a backstory? Jimmy Hook from North London. Ah, uh, Jimmy Hook. I... Uh, wait, anyway. What's the deal with... Did Jimmy Hook grow up in that same house? Is that the deal? Or no, no, Peter Pan. Remember at the end, there was some like Peter yeah. Pan had carved his name into the London... House that the darling he grown up in the darling house. I'm like, when? When? Yeah, the what? Like in in in, in like the 1700s? <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's like a lot of throwaway backstory that didn't really connect the dots. It just more kind of made things confusing. Let's put it. Let's put uh, it this way, Stephen. This movie just doesn't pan out. All right, that's the kind of high level criticism you come to the Book and Film Globe podcast for, Stephen Garrett. You're off to the Cannes Film Festival. The next time we speak to you will be from there, probably. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe we'll get you one more time. But get ready. Start packing your bags. Start start taking your um, Duolingo in French. It's coming. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to stuff my face with baguettes. A bientôt. We're, we're the second podcast to the right, straight on through till morning. <laughs> Talk to you soon. All right. morning boys and girls thank you for the best summer of my short life and welcome to the 1954 to 55 school year livia save your seat on my lap <laughs> sure to be our greatest year at rydale yeah do you promise roy and bill we'd eat lunch with them today to end the divisions among us i want to be a t-bird <laughs> and become a truly united Rydale. He told me exactly what you did to get that jacket. It's not as bad as it seems. These things blow over. Maybe for you. 
there are a lot of kids in Rydell who are sick of feeling like they're not welcome here. I know what it feels like to not be like the others. Ever since it was announced, we've been having some fun on the website uh, about the TV show Grease, The Rise of the Pink Ladies, a prequel to the movie Grease that no one asked for and no one wanted. And now it's actually here, Grease, The Rise of the Pink Ladies on Paramount+. Plus. And sure enough, it did not meet even the modest expectations we had for it. Paula Schaefer is here, and she wrote about it this week. Paula, hello. Hey, yeah, it's the pink ladies have risen. They rose. There they are. Are you feeling, are you a nerd feeling underappreciated by, by, by all the, all the cool, cool kids, the popular kids? Definitely. Definitely. I, I really was looking to like connect with the pink ladies and I didn't connect with them. Yeah. It's a bizarre show, right? Because like, as you said in the review, it's set in 1954 before the actions of Greece, which really took place in the heart of what you would call the quote-unquote 50s, whereas 1954, as you wisely say in your review, is still sort of like the tail end of the 40s, and you still have people coming home from Korea, and there's still a lot of residual trauma from World War II, and you know, Mark Elvis hasn't really even appeared yet, and it's not the 50s yet, right? Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird choice all around. Like, I get what they were going for, but they just seem to have approached it from the wrong direction. Yeah, and you know, the thing, look, you, you and I are approximately the same age. I don't know exactly how old you are, and I'm not going to ask, and I don't care. But we're, pro- we're of the age where there was a lot of Greece in our lives. The music from Greece. Greece was a very culturally dominant movie when I was a child. My sisters loved it and I knew all the lyrics to Greased Lightning and you know I had a crush on Olivia Newton-John as Sandy before she went all frizzy you know and I you know it was it was a it was a cultural touchstone and you know it was the mu- and it was from a Broadway show and it was the it was the music that really made the um the movie such a hit uh, well, in addition to star performances from John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, and Stockard Channing, among others, uh, this doesn't have any of that. No, it really doesn't. And I don't know why they decided to make it a long season TV show instead of just a movie. An hour and a half, two hours, this would have been a lot less offensive because they would have had to make some choices and tighten up the storytelling instead of making choices to extend the storytelling. Right, because I watched the first, I only watched the first hour, that's all I could stand. And, you know, I was like, all right, if this had been an hour and 45 minutes, it could have been cute. You know, the the girls who make up the core of the pink ladies are, you know, mostly appealing for the most part. Um, and I, w- I would say there wasn't, there wasn't even a, I mean, there's a lot of sort of broad corny performances, but there were a lot of broad corny performances in Greece, the movie as well, but it's but it's like, do we, what's what story could possibly take ten hours um, among this? And also, like, the music is horrible, horrible. Am I wrong? You are not wrong in in about that. Uh, it's like if you watched High School Musical and you were like, these songs are not catchy enough. I wish they were less catchy. 
I wish there was more auto-tune. I wish there it was clunkier. Like, that's about the level it hits. Yeah. I mean, for as a perfect example, there is uh, there's one of the pink ladies is a, you know, basically a non-binary person. <laughs> you know, we can't even really, you used to call them a tomboy, but this is a non-binary character. Um, just like there was a non-binary character in the new Steven Spielberg uh, West Side Story. I guess, I guess there were more non-binary uh, uh, people in, in the 50s than we knew. Um, and that's fine. Um, and, this, and, and they um, want to be part of the T-Birds, which is the greaser gang that uh, John Travolta headed up in the movie. And so there's a song in Auto Shop just like they did with Grease Lightning, except that it's, and they dance on the tables just like they did on Grease Lightning. Some of the choreography is the same, but it has, but, but I, I can't even remember. There's some lyric about Marlon Brando. That's all I remember. You know? Yeah, I, I forgot it immediately too. I'm like, I'm like, I know, but I was watching it. I was like, well, this is sort of like if you, if you, ha if you had an, an AI say, write me Grease Lightning in auto tune. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it very much feels like someone described the idea of Greece to someone who had never seen or heard or understood it and then sat down and said, well, I can write a song about the 50s, I bet. And the original Greece kind of like the songs were catchy and they were pop of the time. So they kind of like play into the disco popularity. They kind of play into the pop music of that day. And so it was, you know, the, the anachronism was there on purpose. And these songs, I don't know what they're trying to play into. They're not trying to sound like modern songs, but they also don't sound like classic songs. They're just kind of forgettable filler. Right. I mean, look, the original Grease is like, well, you know, Hopelessly Devoted to You, which was not a song from the Broadway show. It was like an Olivia Newton-John ballad. Frankie Avalon, a 50s pop idol, um, you know, comes out of the sky and does a song. You know, obviously Frankie Avalon is not available for a show in 2023, but that's also part of the problem. You know, Grease came out in 1978. The 50s weren't that long ago, you know? The kids of the 50s just had kids of their own, so of course they're going to share this stuff with their kids. You know, now the 50s were all, you know, we're getting close to 100 years ago. You know, we might as well be watching a show about the Civil War. So, like, there's no, there's no resonance. The 50s have no, have, have no resonance, you know. The, even the 80s are starting to feel kind of far away. Like, the equivalent distance between the original Greece and the 50s are now the distance between now and, like, 1998. Yeah, exactly. And so it's far. And, and I feel like the people writing it didn't really consider the things that were going on socially at that time. Like, it, it's a totally cool idea to take this world of Greece and say, look, these issues people face then are the same issues we face now. Look how far we come, but how far we haven't come. Look how this is. But they didn't actually bother to think about what was really going on socially there. And so it does a whole disservice to their entire concept. Right. So here, you know, here are the, here are the four mains pink ladies you have. You have a kind of a nerdy half Puerto Rican girl who um, is making out with the jock, uh, and you and she's she's only nerdy because she wears glasses. She's obviously you know quite quite beautiful. Uh, that, that's, and all of the guys are very interested in her as well. So I mean, I was. Uh, and then you have like a, you know a bombshell um, Latina. 
who uh, is extremely hot and and dresses dresses makes the way Rita Moreno dressed in West Side Story look modest. Um, you know, who, but secretly likes reading J.D. Salinger under under the bleachers. Bleachers. You have the t- the uh, the non-binary character who wants to be uh, in a boy gang, and then you have uh, kind of an, an Asian American, a sassy Asian American wannabe clothing designer. I mean, I hate to say it, that's way too multicultural for 1954. Am I wrong? Yeah, I I feel like that's especially if we're saying this is right before the original Greece. So four years later, the school just went back to being all white people (laughs) there's a lot of black students there's a lot of gay students there's and i understand that we live in a time now where you know you know racially inclusive casting is the norm and that's all for the good if you're casting a show set in a modern high school (laughs) yeah even they could have set greece in the 60s like later and the pink ladies and t-birds are just gone and people think that's like something the losers did and then this group of students who are all diverse, who feel like outcasts because they are the minority at this school that has been all white, they bond together and make the gangs cool again and make people say, oh, okay, we're all people. This is awesome. We're set it in the modern day, right? L high 2023 and have half of the pink ladies be men or non-binary. I don't know. Yeah. Do so. Yeah, or one of them, like her grandma tells her about her cool girl gang and she's like, huh, interesting and hands her the coat. Make Rizzo the grandma who gives the coat. Ah, uh, yeah, see? Why are we the showrunners for this, Paula? <laughs> or something. <laughs> I, I, I know, you know, and then and then you have, um, you know, an 80s pop idol come down from the sky and do a beauty school dropout knockout. I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, what we have here is something that it's so inert and so wrongheaded in every way. And, I, and you know, to be fair... I don't think Rise of the Pink Ladies is popular. I don't think like we're speaking against something that is like got a hold of the imagination. So supposedly it's like on the cusp of being renewed for a second season because for Paramount Plus ratings, viewings, it's been doing very well. Well, which you know that could be the, that could be that I watched it and you did too. Yeah, like <laughs> watched one episode for free uh, today. So I don't I don't think that they 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 clocked my my viewing yet. I will say, in its defense, the four ma- main girls who are in in grand tradition of high school casting, obviously not teenagers um, in any in any real way, um, early twenties at the at the youngest. Um, are have some charm and do you know attempt to hold the screen um and some of the you know some of just in general like i I feel like it's not like the actors lack personality it's not like utterly wooden you know but the the material is so weird and off-putting yeah i would suggest that if anybody is on paramount plus and wants to watch a high school show that is diverse and interesting that features the past as well as now school spirits that's the show on paramount plus i would suggest instead of rise of the pink ladies i've never heard of school spirits is that about ghosts it's it's yes it's a girl is dead and she's a she, it's actually the uh chick that plays tori on cobra kai oh peyton list yes and she's dead and she wakes up in her high school and 
all of the all of the people who have died in the high school over the years are there. So there are people from dating back when the school was built in the 50s through now. And she's trying to solve her murder. Oh, I mean, that's high. And, that sounds kind of fun. I don't know. It was. It was fun. It was a lot more fun than Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies. And it was able to do kind of like diversity and raise like social issues in a subtle way that would that made sense. Uh, yeah, are I would there, suggest there, that. Are there dance numbers like Dancing Ghosts though? <laughs> that, I think there is a school dance that happens during it. So perhaps there is. Nobody sings though. Oh, well, in auto tune or not? Given the singing and Rise of the Pink Ladies, I think that's probably for the better. And look, if. Paula and I haven't convinced you yet to not watch Rise of the Pink Ladies. It's on Paramount+. Plus. If you disagree with me, I don't know. Leave a comment on the website. Send me an email. I don't care. Alright, Paula. You're, 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 you're free to go have a crush on that boy now. We're gonna need some jackets. Pink Lady Pledge is to act cool, to look cool, and to be cool. All right. Thanks, Paula Schaefer. Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, now airing on Paramount Plus. Enter at your own risk and bring lots of brill cream. Also, thanks to Ann Holiday for talking to me about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, now airing in theaters. And to Stephen Garrett for talking about Peter Pan and Wendy, now on Disney+. Plus. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the world of culture, pop culture, high culture, low culture, all kinds of culture. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for reading the website. I will talk to you soon. Original Production.